an auto scrubber on a wood floor that's got plenty of finish on it is really not a bad thing. But if you just had your floor done this year and it's only got four coats of finish on it, you know, two seal coats, some paint, and, and then, you know, two, cut, two top coats, auto scrubbing that floor is not a great idea. Floor pros, welcome to another fun-filled edition of ATWF, all things wood floor, brought to you by our lifelong industry buddies at Wood Floor Business. I'm your humble host, Steve Diggins, and with me today I have Mike Hoy and Steve Crawford from Canlac Coatings. You might know them better as representatives from Absco or Poloplaz, but one thing for sure, they know their flooring chemistry and our beloved wood floor side of the industry with sports flooring. We're going to talk gym floors, sports floors, oil and water polys, finishes, finish failures, finish successes, cleaning maintenance, coatings, and recoatings. This one is a doozy, kids, so let's get your grid on, jump on that riding sander, and let's get our game on. Mike Coy, Steve Crawford from Canlac Coatings up next. Floor pros around the world, let's get to it. Mike Hoy, Steve Crawford from Canlac Coatings. Welcome to All Things Wood Floor. Thanks, Steve. Now, Mike, this is a Canadian company, but you're from Ohio and you live in Michigan. Is that correct? Yeah, originally from Ohio, live in Michigan. Tig- um, yep. Tigers, Lions so guy? I, I'm a Tigers, Reds, Browns, Lions, Red Wings, Dick. Pistons currently disappointed in all my favorite teams kind of guy. That works. And Steve, you're, <laughs> you're, you're in Georgia, am I right? I'm, I'm a native Texan, born and raised. Oh, been yeah, Rockwall. Uh, you a Rockwall yeah, guy? Yeah, I've been in Texas about 30, uh, about 30 years. And how did it, how did you guys want – how did this all connect to Canada? Because it, it's – your company is – Canlac is from Ontario. Is that right? Yeah. Okay. Uh, Montreal. Us. Montreal, okay. Yeah, people, our industry knows us as Poloplaz, Absco, and Samson. Yep. Field applied, good, better, best, next generation – Floor coatings, stains, polyurethanes, and sport floor coatings. Uh, earlier this year, uh, we were acquired by a private equity that combined us with Canlac coatings out of Quebec. And everything we do, which is field applied and 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 vertical, they do spray applied and horizontal. Okay. So they're doing custom millwork, but they also do UV uh, OEM coatings, stains, sealers, and finishes for hardwood flooring. So where Mike and I spend all of our time out on the job site, they're actually spending their time in the shop. So, so with, combined, we're the Canlac Coatings Company. How are, when you're working with sport flooring, and that encompasses a few things, so tell me about it. There's gym floors and you know aerobic floors. But when there's sport floors and residential floors, for what you do in your products, how are they similar? How are they different? Or how do you work those two categories? Well, first of all, there's not, you know, from a durability standpoint, there's not a difference. I mean, you'll, you'll have a lot of people that say, oh, I'm doing, a, I'm sanding in this house floor and they want me to use gym finish on it because it's more durable. Well, that's a farce. That's not correct. Um, you know, you know, when you're comparing an oil-based gym finish to an oil-based residential polyurethane, chemistry is pretty much the same. You know, there are, there are a few that stand head and shoulders above the others, but at the end of the day, oil-based polyurethane is, is you know, all the technology is pretty similar. I coat gyms uh, in the summer in my spare time. Is it, isn't it more of a, a sheen and slip resistance 
then that's all the okay. difference in the world to, to be considered a gym floor finish. You know, there's, we have, we have the MFMA here in the U S you know, you have to meet certain criteria to have your, your finishes approved by them. And it's all third party tested. And then Europe, there's FIBA. Um, you know, the, 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 they have their own set of international standards, which, you know, you have to work to meet, you know, the big difference is everything in North America is shiny right. and everything in Europe isn't. <laughs> They, they, sports they, floors, they're not. You know, typically, sports flooring in Europe is a lower sheen. And I see I see that trend is going to probably follow here into the States simply because of television and halogen lights. Sure. Um, Does slip resistance, it, it, it doesn't uh, equate any way in sheen because it always seemed like if it's glossy, you're going to stick to it. No? Yeah. As a general rule. Yeah, the higher the sheen, the finish, oh. the better the traction rating. You know, you, the coefficient of friction is, friction is more proper. However, you know, technology, just like, you know, when we all were growing up, we had push-button radios, right, in the car. Now you got satellite radio. Um, you know, the technology's come a long way. Uh, we've currently got three low-sheen products that are approved, and we're actually completing our FIBA applications right now for Europe. Right. So. it's it's you know there's there's a lot of great stuff out there i mean and and technology like i say i mean it it gets better and that that allows us in our industry obviously to become better um you know back in the day we sealed with lacquer and would put one coat of oil-based polyurethane on a floor and it was and it was amber and everybody had it you know sometimes mrs smith would get her own little floor machine and wax it you know nowadays we've got water-based coatings they're lighter they're brighter they're you know, more environmentally friendly, um, you, you know, they're just so, as durable, yeah, just the nature of the industry. We've evolved. You've, you, was it can like you were involved in, you recently did the, the Clemson university sport floor, their gymnasium. That's one of many. What, yeah, one what of was many on that? I, that? You, you know, showed me the photos. Involved in, um, several division one schools, some NBA floors. Um, yeah, all the way across everything, all the way down to, you know, the, the, the K to five, that's around the corner from your house, you know, co- you know, any, if it's got a gym floor, we make coatings for it. So, and then where do you break off to your, um, your, um, residential division for your flooring products? Go Steve, that would go. be Steve Crawford. <laughs> I, I know yeah. him. I met uh, him earlier. There he is. You know, the, the, the guys that do the large portable floors, uh, for colleges, high schools, universities, uh, NBA, uh, WNBA, uh, those are typically sold direct to the contractor and serviced directly to the job site. And it's much more technical because you're dealing with multiple sealers, you're dealing with custom paint colors, custom graphics. And it's not what a typical local contractor would do that's going to pick up a couple of local high schools and three or four elementary schools. They're not the same contractor uh, group. So typically, the guys doing these large things that Mike Hoy um, uh, manages, um, uh, those are sold direct through Poloplast Sport. Right. However, there's a huge market for the distributor to keep a pallet of five, 500 VOC and 350 VOC poly pails in his warehouse because a lot of times as, uh, as jobs vary, a lot of guys pick up two or three gym floors in the summertime um, on a local contract. Sure. Well, they just want to go pick up six pails. So it's important for all the distributors to keep 
some sport there because there is a very large market for the the YMCA, the local elementary school, the uh, uh, the boys club, even a local uh, uh, dance hall. They'll want you to come in and redo their their floor with Jim Finish. So we do that through the Absco brand. Absco Sport is a water base, a 500 poly, a 350 poly, a sealer, um, very short line, but it's more for the guys that do two and three jobs. Like Hoy's doing the guys that are doing hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of finish on a national level. Well, that's the difference. My, my, are they more like when I was coming up through the ranks, uh, gym floors were very proprietary. Like in our area between Maine and, and Rhode Island, there was two companies. And if you even brought a name up, you had to go to them. They had territories. Is it still fairly proprietary from these old gym companies? Through the MFMA, yeah. You know, you've got a select number of mills. Good. Correct. Yep. And they all have their distributors in, and they all have their protected regions. Um, but the screening coat market, like Steve was saying, for, for screen and recoats, you know, that it's there, there are so many companies that I, I mean, large companies that specialize in sports floors right down to what Steve was describing as the, you know, the mom and pop company or the residential company that there are there's literally, you know, tens of millions of square foot of sports and athletic flooring throughout this country. And, you know, if, if it was just the MFMA mills. And those contractors doing it, they could never do it in a year. You must ramp I mean, up. Even if you took all of those companies that are members of the MFMA, and they're all good companies, and they do great work. There's just it's a simple math that you know there's not enough bodies to get that much flooring done. We get a lot more calls when basis. school lets out. As soon as the schools let out, it's a free for all. They're, they're looking for sport paint. You got to find a good poly that doesn't have rust on the lid like steve was saying you have to have that stuff around. you really have to get that stuff around it's harder even to ship right now um so steve a question for you when we're talking with all these different polys and there's a lot of misnomers at this point i i came up through the era where everyone knew water base was junk and everybody knew 350 oil was junk i see a lot more <coughs> things happening right now people still want to work out of fives and they can't so they might 550 voc a floor finish it off with a heavy three you know, 350 VOC. I don't see too many people layering up three, four coats of 350 VOC. You want to dissect that out for me? I would think they have different curates. Well, not anymore. Okay. Um, I agree. The first, I've been in this business uh, 35 years as far as coating. First water-based coatings were complete garbage. Yeah, I did. Um, they were terrible. And they were all being put over an existing oil. So they peeled and and you, the the uh, adhesion was terrible, but if you think about it, every bit of R and D over the last fifteen years at minimum has gone toward lower VOC oils and water based coatings. Uh, I introduced I've introduced several water based single components over the last twenty years. And every three to five years, if you're not reformulating that and keeping up, you will have somebody come in and embarrass you. Right. The technology is there. So uh, now, from a 550 to 350 standpoint, that's primarily drying and application. Right. Because everybody loved mineral spirits in a 550 formulation. Right. 
because mineral spirits was just like the perfect solvent. It dried at the most uh, normal and it, uh, uh, it, you could anticipate exactly how it was going to flash off and how you're going to look. And then the first 350s, they came out with Oxol, which was an, you know, an exempt solvent. It smelled like tidy bowl uh, cleaner, actually. And it took a day and a half to dry, and everybody hated it. Um, the, obviously, those 350 technologies have gotten better. And I, I will even uh, be so bold as to say the new 275s that are going to hit the market in January. New York is going uh, 275 come January 1. Don't cause trouble here, Steve. I but know, that's... but there's a couple 275 formulas that work so that's much scary better than talk. a 350. And they dry like a five. Well, this is stuff we need I'm to know. because we... that's, that's where the technology is going. It is, it's going faster than what us with a little gray on our temple really want to acknowledge. Mike and I wish we, we had gray. I got yeah, both. we did a snapshot of this <laughs> five years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago or more. And, oh, yeah, well, water base is garbage. Or, yeah, yeah. 350 is crap. I'm telling you, it's amazing what, if you look at some of these technologies with fresh eyes, um, we're doing well. Is there a different uh, cure rate between 350 and the 550? Let's say you would think there most would of be. them no, no. Yeah, let, let, let's talk about that because mm -hmm. uh, there's a lot of confusion there. So you've got, I, I prefer to say, dry to touch, dry to handle, which would be, you know, screen it, right. and then dry, dry to, uh, dry gas. to handle, dry, and then dry to use, and then full cure. Full cure. Solvent-based products don't fully cure till after 30 days. In fact, they continue to cure and because they drive oxidation. They actually, when they're fully cured, they powder off the floor. So really, um, dry to touch with a 550 was always three, four hours, and 350s were overnight. That has been reduced. Okay. And then dry to service, where you can actually get out there, walk on it, uh, whatever – there's some coatings on the market now where you can go back full use in 24 hours. You can play basketball on a court 24 hours after you after you refinish it. So what's the chemistry? So, what's different? It, again, it's 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 the it's the curing technology, and as these things coalesce, these individual molecules coalesce. It's science, man. And by the way, Hoy and I are not smart enough to explain it. I can just tell you oh, what it does. Still going to ask you. <laughs> I'm still coming after you. No, this is good because as a distributor, we sell everything, and I was an installer, so I had my opinions. And then you get a different opinion when you go to a lab and they invite you and you get to work with the materials and coat them and see what – and you can look at tests and say, well, wait a minute. This stuff is not matching up like the contractor saying or what – we all know that most contractors, what they use is the best. Whatever they're using is the best, and everybody else is a fool for not using it. But – where we're like the wood floor experts, and most people in the industry try, to, industry try to be, you, I learn as much as I can, and when I have questions, I go after them, and then I would like to bring them to my customers and prove it to them. We'll we'll test on sample boards or whatever, but this is good stuff to hear because I know in the last five years I've changed my opinion on thirty different things. There's a lot of different things, and when you're talking about these polys, people in the market will think residentially. A gentleman just showed up at my job with a five gallon pail, so he's probably a hack. And that used to be some validity. It's not anymore if the quality of the oh. product is there, right? Not at all. Because one of the things, Steve, yeah, that one of the things that Steve didn't touch on is, you know, 
we all remember back in the early days of 350. Oh, yeah. If you had a five gallon pail and you could stand stand your your broom handle in it, yeah, because it was so thick. Carol syrup, you know, and, and, you know. So you had this. The original technology was you know upwards of sixty or more percent solids. And as the technology has evolved and, and we've changed some solvents over the years, I mean, there are, there's a 275 VOC product out there now right. that's 48% solids. So when you compare to most of the 550s at 43, you know, or in the gym floor world, everybody talks about 450, you know, back when, back when I used 450, you know, that's 50% solid. So it's actually lower viscosity. Right than the old 450 gym finishes that are out there. And there's 275 technology out there that now cures oil solvent-based, oil-based polyurethane in 14 days to where you can put rugs and mats and, and things like that back on it. Right. Whereas a 500 VOC poly, most of them you still have to wait 30 days on. So there, there's going to be real advantages to, you know, stepping your game up, I guess you would say, and, and trying something new. Um, you know, don't yeah, obviously you don't ever want to go reinvent the wheel on a, on a 3,500 square foot floor in a home or on a, you know, 25,000 square foot sport floor. It, it, you got to find a place to look at it because it's just going to make you better at what you do. So, Steve, question for you, and we won't we won't get deep into it. it I wasn't going here, but I, this, I love this stuff because I can go back to my customers and I like the ones that are really particular that do have definitive opinions of what they think is best because if you can find something factual, present it to them, let them try it, and and you can prove to them there's alternatives, they're, they're your champions. They're the best guys sure. to say, you know what, I changed my mind on this. Just for a second, let's touch on we call them solids. Influencers. Influencers. <laughs> so solids. This has been a debate for years. Just kind of sum it up for yeah. me. People go, I want more solids. Well, you don't necessarily, what, what's the deal on what the solid content is and those variables? More, better, okay. not better? Um, every, and I, I don't want to tell you how to build a watch. I want to tell you what time it is, but mm -hmm. it, it takes a little more. You can edit this, okay? Yeah. So, so VOC is volatile organic compound. That is the fluid in the can. It can be water, mineral spirits, uh, you know, alcohol, whatever the base is for the finish. When it flashes off, all that does is carry it onto the floor so you can you can apply it. As it flashes off, it leaves everything it leaves is volume solids. That would be your resin. That would be your flatteners. That would be your extender pigments and also uh, some of your desirables like uh, um, uh, like something to keep the can from rusting, you know, aqua ammonia, all, the, all those things that don't flash off, sure. which they capture and measure as VOC. So it could be 550 parts per million or 350, whatever. What's left is the solids. So if you have a 33% solids product for every 10 mils you put on, you're going to get 3.3 mils left on the floor that you're going to walk on. So a 27% solids product is not going to leave as much film thickness and wearability as something that's 40 or 50 or 60. So um, uh, perfect example, there's there's a product that, uh, you know, if it has 50% volume solids, it's going to be basically two coats in one versus a product that has 25% volume solids. But it won't solids. be softer, will it, or be less wearable? No, you have, you, you have to build that in. You have to build in the curing mechanism. And most of those are two component, by the way, so you can create a chemical reaction instead of waiting for the individual particles to melt together themselves, coalesce, mm -hmm. 
So, um, no, th- there's guys a lot smarter than me and Mike Hoy that, that design these things and do these. The, the, the beauty of it, and, and it's with every company because I've been with other companies, the good thing is to validate this in person. You know what? I want you to believe what I tell you, but I want you to prove it to yourself. So uh, used to you put a coat real thick on a floor. Yeah, it might even alligator on you. You know, you you you, you thin to win. You know that you know that you know the oh, phrase. That's where I'm going. Win. Yeah. And and I, w- I would I would only encourage people. And this is a new concept. Read and follow label directions. If it says applied 400. That's the new movement, by the way, in everything. Read the label. We talk about it pre-finished. Read the label. Technology marches on, and we get stuck in our practice. Well, I've always done it this way. You know, I know we did it that way, but now there's a there might be a better way to do it. So let me ask you this. This is this is interesting because I I started out as a contractor and in wholesale retail the whole thing, and I study flooring. I have a digital stereo microscope. I study floor all the time. I I'm very I'm fascinated with it. And one of the things I want to ask you is, I've made an assumption on my own recently, and I think you're alluding to what's going on here. It seems to me with the applicators that I sell and going from a hundred lambswools a day to like one a month. It seems like all the all the polys, water, oil, two component, uh, single component, are flowing out at the same rate. Like you just said, thin. It used to be, wow, I got you know twelve hundred feet out of my water base, and it was brutal. It seems like I swear we're getting our high end two components of water are going at four fifty. Our oils are going at four hundred and fifty feet. Our nine sixteenths rollers are flowing out at four hundred and fifty feet. That seems to be the number per gallon on like a raw coat. Is that well, what's happening? That's, well, that's that's somewhat on purpose because, again, you're trying to figure out. Nobody wants to do a five coat system. No. The generally nationally, you want to do a color coat, one sealer, and two top coats. Absolutely. Nobody really wants to go do five coats anymore. It starts to look like and plastic. If you're, if you're rolling out at 1,100 feet per gallon at 30 percent solids, you're not putting enough finish on the floor. Right. Okay. Also, you also have to remember they're used everybody as you mentioned, everybody used to use a block. Everybody. Everybody. Everybody under 50 right now that comes into this a, a, a block or a T-bar sometimes doesn't even fit their hand. Everybody it seems like this the 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 the, the, the younger guys, you know, I sound like Grandpa Simpson here. Too, yeah. The younger guys <laughs> want to roll. So Everything that I've that we formulated in the last several years has been not only to T bar, not only to block, but it also has to have the open time where you can roll it. That's yes, because and 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 you can find and those three different contractors will argue until death over which one's better and why theirs is the best. And yet, rolling is taken over by storm. It has because, you know, uh, again, you can pour a puddle and roll it around. Again, you're not really applying it with a roller. You're spreading it with a roller. It's the same concept as a T-bar. It's just some. a lot of folks are just more comfortable doing it. The biggest issue we have, and Mike will tell you, is overworking it. Because you don't overwork it with a T-bar. You don't overwork it with a block. But it seems like folks that roll, they have to really be nurtured to say, hey, look, out in take off like an airplane like you're sanding with a big machine mm-hmm. right uh d- don't sit there and go back and forth back and forth back and forth because you're giving it too big of an opportunity to introduce air bubbles in there that won't pop out in the level 
Yep. Also, if you're doing it 1,100 square feet, you're going to fly. If you're in the high desert in Denver, that's going to flash off before you can ever get to the next row. So we have to formulate things for all 50 states. And that's why I think everybody settled on the 400 to 500 square foot per gallon because right. we used to be regional companies. Everybody is a regional company. So what was formulated to work in New York, New Jersey, or Boston wouldn't work in Denver or Dallas or San Diego or Boise or Salt Lake. So therefore, since we all went with national formulas and everybody's using roller, T-bar, or block, we had to adjust viscosities, drying times, open times so that at high elevation or in Louisiana during a rainstorm, you could put this down and get it to, to flow and level properly. So it's the same thing with wood and acclimation used to the wood for, to build this house would have come within 50, 50 miles of this place. Now we're shipping wood from continent to continent Yes, and it just can't acclimate. So we're creating a lot of these problems for ourselves just because we're being globalized. Sure. But, uh, but I think it's you know, I think we're being proactive with it. And uh, I think we're making it easier uh, for the contractor because one, we don't have enough of them, and they're not getting trained quick enough. And the easier we can make the job look just as professional as it always has is going to make it easier for everybody. Absolutely. I mean, we used to sell right. nine different rollers when we finally got people to roll, and we've got it down to almost one. And we won't even get into the technology of a roller, but we've, I have had long discussions about that in, in my office with my contractors. Mike, let me ask you this. When we're talking about um, sport flooring, I was in that situation where I was a local contractor, had a lot of guys, a lot going on, and people would ask us to do gyms, and we would never get them if we bid them. They were gym companies. But sometimes you would get a sport floor. Like I do all the YMCAs. Even now I do their painting for them because someone knew somebody that's in with the janitorial side of it. How do you get a hardwood flooring contractor that wants to, you know, once July hits, get into the gym business or maybe do that professionally as a career? How do you make that shift? Well, it's a commitment. Um, there are, in this country, very few companies that run full-time residential and full-time sport flooring because it takes bodies, yep. you know. And, you know, if you've got four guys that work for you that are true artisan-type craftsmen, you know, they, they can only do so much work in a day. And they, so if you got four of them, you can only run four crews. So you, you pick your poison, you know, you're going to be a high end residential contractor and do this, or you're going to do sport floors. Um, I know a few guys that they do houses in the off season and residential work. And then they, you know, six months out of the year, five months out of the year, they do gym floors. And the equipment's different. But you must have it's, to it's, a big, it it's a different set of equipment. I mean, you know, you're not going to walk into a 20,000 foot field house with an eight inch belt sander <laughs> and, and accomplish it. the job. You can do the job. <laughs> sure. And it'll look great when you're done in July. <laughs> you know, you started in May. <laughs> you know, I mean, if you have a floor that's got 20 years worth of finish on it or 30 years worth of finish on it, you know, you've got to have, you know, the, the drum, the old school, you know, 12 inch drum sanders that have a lot more head pressure, um, you know, hooked onto a rider of some sort so that you can get out there and, you know, a rider and two 12 inch drum sanders. I did, we did a study back years ago at a place I used to work at can do 25 hours for the man, 25 man hours worth the labor in six hours. 
That's four times the production of you or me or Steve or anybody else out there because you take out fatigue, you take out all these other things. I mean, you know, you just get off, you know, you get off the rider, you empty your bags, you change your paper and off you go again. Whereas, you know, with with a belt sander, A, you're cutting 50% less floor. You know, if you, if you have an eight inch belt sander versus a 12 inch machine, you're cutting, you got, you know, 50% less footprint. It's also not a residential finish. That could be 30 years of polyurethane. Yeah. And, and you know, if it's 30 years, I mean, there could be moisture cured, old moisture cured urethanes underneath it. Or, you know, Lord knows what else, <laughs> you know, you find shellac on, you know, now you don't find much shellac on gyms anymore, but um, no, I mean, it, it's, it's a, it's a committed field. I find um, the people I know that are successful at sports flooring, you know, you need to focus on it and have the right equipment, the right tools, just like if you're going to be a, you know, a, a residential contractor, you know, you're not going to find a residential contractor hardly, hardly anymore that'll go into a house with a 12 inch drum sander. You know, could you imagine a drum sander on today's new homes with those engineered floor joists? You know, people complain when a brand new belt sander is leaving chatter because you've got these giant wide spans oh, and, yeah. and the floor vibrates under the sander. But if you put that 12 inch drum sander on there, you lose farm animals. It's resonance frequency. I've written articles about it. I've been into homes where I've stopped the crews and said, you don't feel like you're sitting on a bridge in traffic. And they go, yeah, Yeah. what is that? I go, that's not, that's not your machine. And and stop giving Hummel a bad name. It's not them either. It's this home. And you find out that they use I-beam construction out of steel to take the lolly columns out so that you can put in pool tables and furniture and things and make it mm-hmm. wide open concept. But you're, you're leaving that structural vibration. It, have a party. You can feel the floors bounce and dance and do everything else. And then, these, like you're saying, with this equipment you're using for a gym, it's a whole other set. The, the gentleman that I work with, he made a conscious decision to leave working for his father, go join a gym company and learn. And spent years doing it. And then he went back to doing the other side of it. It seems like you got to get in with people that know what they're doing. It's a whole other ballgame. It is. It's it's very technical. Um, you know, it's not it's not just a big room. I mean, you have to have an understanding of electricity when you're dealing with, you know, the sports flooring. Because, you know, the average house job, you might have 70 feet of electrical cable extended. Sure. You, you get into a, a gym floor you might have 350 feet of cord extended to each machine. So the, there's, you know, there's power and issues and amp loads and all this other stuff that comes into figuring out a sports floor. That's it's not just coatings. It t- there's a whole line of things that you have to accomplish sure. to get to that point. That's where I'm heading with this. That's I've got some notes about this. <clears throat> so Steve, I wanted to ask you, there's a lot of pitfalls in residential flooring, but there there are so in, in sports flooring too. And I was reading some notes about your athletic booster story. You want to tell me about that? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Mike's uh, laughing already. So all three of my kids uh, played in uh, sports and cheered for, uh, for our local high school. And everybody knew I was in the floor finish business. And uh, budgets being what they were, this was a few years ago. Steve, can you? Uh, we don't have the budget to redo our high school gym this year. Uh, we've got several coaches. Uh, can you can you show us how to pad and recode our gym? And I went, God, how hard can it be? Right. Right. Mechanical bonds, a mechanical bond. Gloss poly's gloss poly. So I sent them off to to rent a buffer, and uh, that was about all we had. Got the poly, and I'm gonna tell you, 
if you don't prepare yourself, if, you, if you're a residential contractor and you've never done a gym, I got to tell you, you'll never do another one unless you're really prepared because, you know, abrading uh, uh, the floor is one thing. And, and and we bought the easy way applicators, you know, so we were ready to put the poly. I had no idea how we spent three fourths of our time trying to tack that floor after we buffed it. Wow. It was, it was a monster and it took me, it almost killed me and about four assistant coaches doing that. Now it turned out gorgeous. You know, I'm a professional, yep. but I'll tell you this, I will never volunteer to help anybody do another gym floor in my life because I didn't have the equipment. I didn't have the, the technique the the technology is the same. I mean, if you're putting a mechanical scratch on a floor, it's going to stick. We all know what gloss polyurethane looks like. We know how to apply gloss polyurethane. But I think, as Mike mentioned, you know, you're you're used to using an extension cord that's 50, 50 feet long. Right. Yeah. You. That's not going to work. I mean, there's just so many things that you need to you know talk to people that have done it talk to people that you know we're a small industry we all talk to each other all the time we're so social you know even on social media and instagram and facebook and all that um i know it's something that 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 i'll never do again <laughs> this episode of all things wood floor is brought to you by canlac coatings canlac brings together trusted brands best-in-class service and innovative wood coatings for professionals through the trusted ABSCO, CLK, Poloplaz, and Sampson brands. Canlac products are formulated with the highest quality of ingredients for the markets they serve, with a portfolio of products for sports and gym floors and commercial and residential floors, as well as the wood OEM markets. Canlac supplies products for nearly all wood coatings applications, including cabinets, furniture, OEM industrial and flooring markets with custom turnkey solutions. Canlac's history and experience span over 121 years, with a heritage and commitment to quality products that deliver results from start to finish, and a difference you can see for years to come. The Canlac brands offer products that provide solutions for every wood finishing need, with coatings excellence dating back to 1899. Find out more at canlaccoatings.com. That's C-A-N-L-A-K coatings.com. Now back to our talk with Canlax, Mike Hoy, and Steve Crawford. It, the just the sheer volume of it. I I installed my first gym floor with a buddy of mine, and we were in there for it was we followed it textbook, and it was coming out beautiful. And then we had half the gym down, and somebody walked in with a basketball, and threw it at us, and we were like, "Yay!" And we we dribbled it, and the ball died. It hit the <laughs> gym, and it died. And we looked at each other. I, I almost had a panic attack. And then the guy goes, oh, it, that's a bad one. And he threw us another ball. We thought we had done something wrong. We didn't use the right screeds. We didn't use the rubber pads. But kind of what you're saying, the overwhelming, you go, wow, there's 8,000 feet in front of me. This is not a dining room that I can come back and redo if something goes wrong. This is bad. And it could peel. And it could stink. I, I used to do YMCA floors. I, we had somebody go in and do them wrong stunk up the building. They had to evacuate the building. People's eyes were burning. They never cleaned the venting before even looking at it because it's 70 feet up. And all, all the vents units were, were so full of dust and dirt, they couldn't get clean air or venting in there. The poly wouldn't dry. 
they had to shut the business down because people's eyes were burning. And it was because, you know, somebody saved some money because somebody thought that, you know, they could handle something like this. We do the same thing in soccer. You know, 10 or 12 of us go and bring our mowers and mow the field if we have to, or riding tractors, or we help paint the lines. And you're right. If somebody's got the equipment to get out there and do it right, you mentioned 70-foot cord. There's got to be logistical problems with power alone, right? Sometimes it's three-phase for your big ma- – how do you run a big machine in a gym like that? Is it, is it different? electricity than what we're using is it three phase versus single phase is it typically yes um and you know there are a few brave guys out there that you know will run you know on the high voltage side of things because you have to know your panels um you know everybody thinks that you know if you go from 220 everybody thinks you know if it says 460 i'm going to stay away from it well there's this little panel in between it's 277 right um you don't see that very often they, they think, oh, well, I got to stretch all this cord out. I'm going to be okay, right? It's all about, it's like the difference between 110 and 220 is the hertz, right? Cycles. Sure, cycles. 50 hertz, 60 hertz. You know, per, most of what's electrical in the U.S., 110 volts, all 60 hertz. Um, you know, most of the 220 volt, you know, 208 volt, the low voltage three-phase, that's three-phase power is 208 mostly. Um that's 60 hertz. Um, but when you start stepping up, the, the, everything changes. Your amp loads, um, you know, back in the day, my I, my old ride and sander setup actually had high-low, we had high-low switches. You know, we could, you know, run off the two, the, back then it was still two 20-volt panels, but it was three-phase, so you've got three hot legs and one ground, and you've got to know the difference or you're going to make a problem. Um you know, and, and to switch, you could, you know, with the three phase motors can be switched between high and low voltage, but there's a whole bunch of wires in there. You got to switch. So, you know, some of the guys that did a lot both ways would have a high low switch put on the front of their motor. So you could just walk up and it was just, you know, a quarter turn switch and it would take that 208 low voltage motor and make it a 440 volt motor because it changed the sequencing on the wires in the motor. If you don't know that, you know, you're going to hook up the power plug your machine in, turn that switch on and you got a motor on fire. You know, you're going to burn that motor up. It may not catch on fire, but you know, if you run, you know, 440 volts through a a motor that's set up for 220 volts, you're going to start burning the windings. You know, likewise, if you've got a motor that's set up for the high voltage and you hook into the low voltage panel, you turn it on and it's just going to hum and your cords are going to get real hot. You know, so, you know, that's the big thing when you're out there, even when everything is perfectly right, you know, you've got the the 208 volt machine hooked into the panel and everything's running. There's so many things you have to do because we talked about the harmonics a minute ago, right? You've got all these plug ends where your cords are plugged together, stretched out across the floor, laying on that wood floor, vibrating the entire time you're sanding. And then, you know, all of a sudden, you know, two, three, four, five jobs down the road. You jump off your machine, you turn around, and you see this big scorch mark in the middle of the maple floor you just sanded. It's because those screws inside the plugs have vibrated loose. You've got a loose connection. You're generating a ton of heat. You reach down and grab the cord, then you burn your hand because the cord's that hot. <laughs> it just There's a lot of maintenance involved. And it's and, commercial and it, work. Trust me, it goes hand in hand with residential work, too. You've always got to take care of your equipment. you got to make sure your cords are right. Clean your equipment. 
Well, there's your it, crossover that's the too. Same. That's always going to be the same, no matter what part of this industry you're in. I see it all the time with a, a residential contractor, and they'll get, let's say, a light commercial, like they're going to work in a, a, the lobby of a hotel or a restaurant, mm-hmm. or or let's say a sport floor, maybe not a big gym floor, but a sport, you know, racquetball, pickleball, whatever it mm-hmm. is. And they'll say, "We got there at a, you know eleven o'clock last night, and we had to wait till they locked up the place, and we went to work. Had no idea where to plug anything in, anything other than a buffer." Because those kitchens and those service areas are usually 200 feet away, and they're not designed to plug a sander in. The, the stoves don't have the same electrical. It's not wired. It's wired safe and commercially. So it is a big surprise for these people. You really need to know what you're doing if you're going to get into the sport floor business. You're going to get into the sport floor market. You've got Yeah, you have to. I mean, before you do any job, you know, if it's a screen and recoat, you know, you want to know everything about as much about the job as you can. You know, where's you know, where's the water? At? Yeah, where's the water when you're tacking the floor or you need to clean yeah, you up? Know, a- it's, it's you know, it's down two hallways, left turn, right turn. You know, you got to walk a quarter of a mile. You got to wedge the door truck. open with your sandpaper discs. And right. Yeah. <laughs> you know, um, yeah, it, it, it's it's, you know, you know, the same it's the same thing about electricity. Where's you know, where's the, you know, the mechanical room so that you can get into you know, and then you have to have an electrician hook you up. That's what a lot of res- a lot of residential guys they hook their own machines up. Yeah, ninety nine percent of them. I hook did up their own equipment. Was, and you yeah, cannot go into to. a school and hook up floor sanding equipment. You're, you're, it's it's against the law. You shouldn't even you know, be doing it residentially. Started, you could do it, right. but now you know OSHA union this and safety that uh, you, you know you have to hire an electrician. So if you're going to go sand a gym floor in a school, you're going to have to have an electrician hired. Sure. They have to, you have to provide a circuit breaker because they're only going to hardwire you into the panel. So you have to provide the school a circuit breaker for their panel, for your equipment. Okay. So there's something else you're going to have to have. And, and then, you know, how far is it? Okay, now all of a sudden you need 200 feet of cord. So you're going to have to go down to the local supply house that you normally buy from, buy a bunch, bunch of new big machine cord or... You know, if you're going to extend extension cords to run your edgers, your vacuums, your your buffers on, don't you can't buy the extension cords down at the local big box store because, you know, the wire in them is 16 gauge wire. It's too small. You're going to if you're going to stretch out on 110 volt, you know, extension cord, you've got to have 12 gauge wire, you know, to extend that much length to avoid burning those cords up because the amp load on. Oh, sure. We get that uh, there, in residential. There's a lot of stuff to learn. Some people will call and say, you know, I'm going to, my builder wants to know what size generator he should get. And we say, you can't, you can't do that. Or you, even with your new machine, a $7,000 machine, you really shouldn't be doing that. And they say, well, it works. Well, I can go paint my car purple with cyanide if you want to see it. Of course, it'll, it'll work. But we've had people that we've given those instructions to that have burnt out their capacitors. They've caused electrical fires. Like you're saying, you really right. need to, it sounds crazy. But you really do need to get not only legally, but professionally get a qualified person. And, and you know, you've got to go ahead of time to the people involved and say, we need the proper electricity and we need it tested. A lot of places commercially will have a man on site or have someone on site that's qualified or you got to right. hire somebody to either change the, the your machinery or change the the source that you're going to. There's a there's a lot of prep in commercial flooring, whether it's like you said, finding water, also maybe checking the heating, the venting, the filters. Heat's another thing. You have to know where, thing, the, right? know where the controls are. Yeah, you have to know all of that stuff. Covering wow. fire alarms. I've tripped fire alarms in restaurant lobbies that we didn't even think about because of the dust or mm-hmm. the heat. Sure. And then there's the other thing that since you made the comment on dust is, you know, if you're going to go sand a gym floor, 
you know, 10,000 square foot gym floor, what are you going to do with all the dust? You know, the most common mistake, and it's a horror story I hear way too many times, um, you know, they're, sta- they're stacking up, you know, I had 20 bags of sawdust out in the hallway, of the, uh, uh, right outside the gym door. Yeah. That's great. Till one of them spontaneously combusts. Mm-hmm. You run in after your screening because you want to get yeah. on the coating and the tacking. And what do you do? You lay seven backpack vacs out in the sun with that poly dust. I, I've seen that. I, you fe- that has oh, to get yeah. out of there. Yeah. It's got to be. I, I mean, I, I knew a guy who was a good friend of mine who spent a whole day sanding the floor, got it all done, got it ready, carried every dust bag out. They had a 50 yard dumpster delivered yep. so that they could, cause it was a, it was an old, had a ton of finish on it. It was a big floor. They literally almost completely filled a 50 yard dumpster full of sawdust wow. from, you know, running, sanding across that floor, starting at 16 grit, you know, and stepping up through the progression. They, they filled it full of sawdust. Last day he was there, they got done. They parked the equipment, unhooked all the power, had emptied all the sawdust bags, turned his sawdust, his drum bags inside out, laid them on the gym floor, went home. Came back the next morning to a 12-foot scorch mark in the middle of the floor and a million dollars worth of smoke damage. You know, fortunately, the school didn't burn down, but liability insurance is is – you know, a hundred times what you carry for a residential home, you know, usually you're not a hundred, but at least, you know, 10 or 20 times, sure. you know, what you would carry to do a residential job because of the magnitude of everything around that you have to be able to pay for. That's a good a point as far as uh, site prep, because we almost burnt a, a historic amusement park down. And I thought ahead of it from being a contractor, you know, we need. We should have. We talked to our customer and said, you know, if you've never done this type of work. You're working with fifteen thousand feet. Why don't you remove the material and get it off site? Because this this park was built a year before Fenway Park was, and it's a it's a national treasure. And you know, it was a smart call. Guess whose dumpster caught fire? Ours did. We didn't even know it. It burnt down an oak tree. By the time we smelled the smoke, they had already put it out. Well, if we had left that at that park, now it really wasn't our responsibility. It was kind of a courtesy. If you'd like to remove your waste and they were supposed to water it down and they didn't. So there's a lot of prep being done in commercial, but I would think also there's a lot of prep that goes into, not, you know, people always ask, how do you maintain your household floor? Well, there's a lot that goes into maintaining a gymnasium floor. Do you get involved in that portion of it too, the maintenance products for cleanup after the, the facility is ready to roll? Because you don't want contaminants on that. Oh, yeah. And it's, you know, you know, keeping it, that's 90% of the complaints you get on a gym floor once it's sanded and finished and done are actually maintenance related. More than 90. Um, And it's, you know, it's not, and and 99% of the time, it's not the coding's fault. It's not the contractor's fault. Um, But the finger ends up getting pointed back towards the contractor because, you know, you should, as part of your de- as part of your paperwork that you do, you need to have maintenance instructions. Sure. You know, you know, what do you recommend? I mean, you've got to have a proper, you know, approved hardwood floor cleaner for polyurethane finishes, really not any different than what you would use in a house. You know, you've got to, you know, cause you want something that's neutral, a neutral pH and doesn't leave a residue behind. So you don't want to have uh, you know, solid content, tall oil or any kind of silicone, any silicone. type of, Silicone, Teflon, you know, whatever. Yeah, if, 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 if it's a cleaner that is sold, that is sold under the premise of aiding in the shine of the floor or in 
aiding in removing dust from the floor, you don't want to use it. No, and janitorial um, is different because I know I've done gym inspections where they're peeling or there's a problem. You go in, you go into the maintenance shed. Now the the pros are gone, and the maintenance staff's taken over, and now they got five gallon pails of stuff containing silicone and and like I said, Teflon waxes. Then they change the words up. It might say paraffin. It might say something else, and then. The pros come in, and they don't know exactly what's happened here, so they try to screen and abrade and change things, and they're spreading it even more, and the new coats are peeling. Like, maintenance is and huge. And it literally takes 10 seconds to, to see if there's contamination on a floor. I mean, I, I, I preach this to everybody I deal with. It's a, a cap full of water. Everybody carries a, an Aquafina or a you know bottle of water of some sort in their truck, right? Walk inside with it. Pour a cap full of it on the floor. If if that little puddle maintains its integrity, you know that there's nothing there trying, there's nothing in its way, correct? There's not a contaminant. But if you if you pour that cap full of water out on the floor and it beads up like your the, like water on the hood of your truck after it's been waxed, or you know, and it's try and it can't stay together, then then there's something there causing that de-wetting. There's some sort of contaminant present. You may not ever know exactly what it is, but there's a couple ways you can attack it to get rid of it. Um, you know, if you think it's a, some kind of cleaner residue that might have an oil in it, um, we just do a real heavy tack cleaning with mineral spirits. We'll generally resolve that problem. If it's got a lot of buildup on it, you may actually have to abrade with like a maroon pad and mineral spirits to break it down. Or, you know, it may be, some other type of cleaner where you need something with alcohol in it um, to neutralize that contamination. Um, and in which case, you know, that's just another step. Um, one thing we've learned over the last year is that antibacterial cleaners are bad. I was going to ask <laughs> um, you about that. Many, I, I many, thought they many were of good. Those antibacterial cleaners. Even in COVID, in you're telling me that this, because this is such a big thing right now, what they're using as antibacterial cleaners can cause some havoc with flooring. Oh, this is great. Give me that oh, one. Oh, it can be terrible. Um, I've never, never in my life have I answered so many technical calls over the course of a season as I have this year. Right. Um, because there are different types of cleaners. Some of them are like a fogging system where they basically have this mister that they walk through the floor and they're spraying it. And they just mist this stuff onto a floor and they leave it. Sure. And they leave it. And, then, and you know, I, I, I was in one school where they were having problems and they were using this fogging system to clean the gym floor every three hours. So, you know, three times a day they were misting this floor down with this stuff every day of the week. Wow. So, you know, by the time the flooring contractor got there to clean it, you know, it, one, you could tell because it was hazy, but it was uneven. You could see it was there. Um, but you got to figure out how to neutralize it. Um, you know, and get rid of it because, you know, the guy's like, well, you know, the first guy's stubborn, you know, he's like, I'm just going to screen it off. Right. You know, he, he just screened from the bleachers, you know, out 20 feet to the, to the sideline of the court, you know, by the length of the gym. And he re looked back and realized that I just used 40 screens, right. <laughs> you know, it's like, this isn't going to work, you know, and then, you know, so you, you, you kind of walk them through trying to fix it. Um, we've had some people that were given some really bad advice on what to clean the floor with. And, and they thought it was done and they coated it and it just destroyed the first coat of finish. Um, looked like 
cracked glass when it dried because they had used acetone. Sure. You know, uh, acetone dilution to try to clean this stuff off. The What's the best solution they- when things go wrong, in your opinion? Because, you know, you, it's usually peeling or bubbling or something. Oh, it's or separation or, or some sort of problem that fixes. And like I say, nine times out of 10, it's just, it's knowing what you're up against. You know, you've got to know. And that simple cap full of water on the floor will tell you the whole story before you even do the bit. Well, there's other, te- that's perfect. Come there are on, some 90, other tests, right? 90% Steve? of the time, it's a bad batch of finish and you know it. Yeah, everybody it's, knows you. That's those two games. Bad. I'm out special just for you. You can edit that one out. I was just. No, nope, Steve, don't get me started. Thing. I tell people all the time, I go, let me get this straight. I go, did you do any of the other floors this week with this poly? Oh, yeah. But the house you're working in, it, it failed then. So they made 70,000 gallons out in Texas. Then they shipped it to 50 states. Those went into 72 boxes to, or crates to different manufacturers. It got to, to my company, to five divisions. We split them up in one location, sent them to the other five divisions, and the three quarts in this box went bad on only one of your houses. But come on. I've only seen a bad poly once in 40 years. And you know what the manufacturer did? They called us and said, here's the run numbers. These are bad, and we'll tell you why later, but let's get them out of there. And then you get people that will tell you why the floor went wrong. I had a guy, I pulled the cans out of his truck. I go, it's all over the bed of your truck. He goes, I can't get it off of there. And it's dripping down the side of the can. He goes, yeah. And I said, but it won't stick to that floor. And we went in and we looked at the vacuuming. It had been cleaned with so many chemicals, and the floor was resanded. It looked great. But when he was vacuuming, it was pulling contaminants out of the gaps in the maple flooring. They're like 100 years old. And and the felt was reapplying it because you could see the peeling was right between the gaps and the outside. And the poly, we tested in. What are those charts that we use? They, they Is it Barco charts we used to have? You put them on there, you coat them, and if the finish sticks like like well, that cards. Yeah, there you go. And it, they worked fine. Worked absolutely fine, but not on this guy's floor, but it worked everywhere else. So, yeah. And are there warning signs to this? I mean, you said it test with water we have a kit here that's an acrylic test it will tell you if there is an acrylic that's left on the floor if you really want to take it that far off or you take a rag with some thinner or rub it with your hands and if it starts to pill up you're probably finding a contaminant why don't people just test something first go test under the bleachers around the edges where they it's never going to be removed it's not going to get worn down by people's feet if there's a contaminant it's on the outside somewhere Correct. No, it's and and, and honestly, in, in the residential world, it's just as bad. Sure. Um, you know, there's, you know, everybody's worried. You know, <laughs> there's there's a germaphobe in every household. I say, you know, um, yes. somebody's going to be worried. They're gonna they're gonna go. Oh, we got to use this to clean the floors, and then you know, the contractor shows up. You know, and there, there's not as much screen and recoat work done in the residential world as there is in sports flooring because a typical gym floor is done every year. But, you know, whereas in the residential world, you may recoat a floor at 10 years if you recoat it, or you may just sand it off and start over. So there's a lot more refinish work done than there is recoat work. But to your point, what you can you, you don't sand in between the edges of the boards. Right. You know, the, you were talking about the, the vacuum pulling all the contaminants out. You don't sand there. So, you know, you know, that's one of the benefits of getting in and maybe full trial filling the floor when you're refinishing it, if it's not loose. Or cleaning it with you a know, chemical to break down or, a, a bonding or, yeah, agent I mean, or use a know, bonding you, agent. I remember back when we learned, you know, we, every, you were sanding those old, you know, four-inch pine floors and, 
and they were gapped a quarter of an inch. So we, you know, the old guy that taught me, man, he, we'd, we'd go through there with, with, a, with a scraper, uh, you know, and, and we would scrape out, we'd turn the scraper sideways and go up and down the board edges to bust all that crap out of there. Sure. And it was mainly because back then we were sanding wax floors, you know, and trying to refinish old wax floors. You know, sure, shoot, there you go. You know, and, and the, the, the one thing that helps, though, today more than anything else is the amount of stain work that's done. Because you'll see it if you're watching on those old floors when you're wiping an oil-based stain onto a floor or buffing it on. Yep. And those board edges are light, even though you water popped it. They're just a hair lighter if you're looking. Because the wax that's in the, in, in the, in the side grain there is repelled the water and it's not penetrated. So you get a little bit of a light streak on the edge. You know what we're getting at today? There's a whole new problem, and I dealt with it the other day, is um, where now we, where you had the waxes and the pre-finished wax floors and let you scrape the, the massive bevels, bevels, not the micro bevels. And today, mm-hmm. it's there are species of wood birch is one of them in pre-finished that a contractor that's not using ceramic paper or, or, or mineral paper they're going in and instead of doing that, they're going down to 12 grit, 16 grit, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. They get the floor clean, they coat it, and it's blotchy. And it's usually the end joints. And you go, you know, with the high lows, you're not getting all the ceramic. And manufacturers, yep. you got to ask them, what level is it on? Well, it's on the top. It's in the middle. It's at the bottom. It's the first. It's the sealer. Birch is one that tends to suck it in, and, and you see it more prevalently. And then you... Coat with a water-based sealer, you're going to see it. If you coat with a zinzer or a, a light oil type of a sealer, it'll hide it a bit more. But that's another problem is that's a contamination from the factory that the average contractor will think, well, I'll, I've had people say, I just spent a, a $1,000 on paper. Well, if you had bought the, the better paper when you're sanding pre-finished, you'd be able to do this probably more efficiently and more effectively. We have people now right. that are so afraid of it, they won't even sand a pre-finished floor because they believe that that's just going to lead to failure. And it is tricky. That's its own type of con- contamination. Hey, Steve. Yeah. Correct. You know, the reason Universal really took off in our industry several years ago is when you went into a historical home or you did anything that was over 40 years old, um, it had wax on it. It had either liquid or paste wax on it and there's no amount of sanding that's going to get that between the gaps in the floors because you know there's always going to be gaps in floors on a 40 year old floor universal sealer flashes so fast and dries solely by solvent evaporation so as soon as that alcohol flashes off you can top coat it right so a lot of guys use universal sealer for speed but it can also kind of be your insurance on something that you suspect might have some contamination somewhere. Don't use it to do bad things. You know, clean the floor as best you can. But I would recommend Universal Sealer on anything you suspect might have uh, existing wax still between the boards or somewhere because a traditional oil or water-based sealer takes 30 minutes to dry and two hours, three hours to top coat. Universal Sealer will go on there, flash off fast enough where it doesn't re-wet those contaminants and bring them to the surface. Right. So um, that's really how Universal got going. We started recognizing the fact that there is there are certain cases for that rapid that rapid dry 
lock in whatever's bad. Well, it right. It locks things in, but it also acts as a bonding agent. I, I was talking to uh, Mike the other day. We had a gymnasium, and we went in to look. It was peeling, but it, it wasn't the gymnasium. It was the logo. I literally, it was in my office for years. I picked up the whole logo, and it was just the shape of the logo in a thin yellowed cheap polyurethane and you could see the the buffer swirl on the thing what it was was the school had bought a vinyl logo and then coated over with an oil poly and i said well you either have to get a template take this off and have it repainted but why don't we try an experiment let's coat it with an alcohol-based uh, bonding agent like a like a universal and they cleaned it with the with a floor cleaner they lightly abraded the vinyl and they used the the universal as a bonding agent then they taped it off and put a coat of the poly they were using. It's been seven years. It worked fine. So that sometimes can be very helpful to add. The, the birch floor that we had a problem with, I said, you're probably not getting any deeper on the aluminum oxide. Use the universal alcohol. He coated it. The color blend was almost factory, even with the blotches that were there. Coated it with an oil poly, and it looked beautiful. But I did have to have a little talk with him about using ceramic paper because he had done the whole thing with cheap drum paper. So that's a lot of the chemistry of it. Let me ask you a question, Steve. How about, I, I see three or four or five different versions of like uh, mechanical scrubbers, and some of them I think are pretty impressive. What do you, what can you tell me about gymnasiums and scrubbers? Well, I mean, Mike's the gym guy. Oh, I, I'm, I'm, I'm more the distributor, residential, commercial guy, but there are a number of, uh, of brand name floor scrubbers that you know, uh, depending on who you talk to, every one of them is the best. Uh, Mike, you could probably talk more generically about how they work and what the generic uh, best scrubber slash wet vac would be for. And what do they purposes. do? Like what? It, let's just say brand aside. There's they. I notice when you're moving around flooring kits, we've sold a trillion of them. After five minutes, you're moving around dirty water, dirty cleaner. It seems like these are removing oh. the material. Is that what they're doing? They're removing I, the material? I, I thought you were referring to the uh, the mechanical ones, the plug-in ones, the motorized Well, that's what I'm saying. You're they talking look about like a, mop kits. No, no, they look like a lawnmower. What I'm saying is the mop kits. Yeah. You could tell when you're using a mop that eventually, and if you would buy a cheap urethane, people would say you can buy this and coat your own home floor. And after five minutes, it's dirty and it's brown and the floor looks bad. I've noticed when you go to these scrubbers and they're kind of shaped like a lawnmower, they're removing the dirty material and not reapplying it. It goes into a tank where it's pushed right. away from the new yeah, fresh material. You, you, you got to remember the scrubbers and the pads on those things. We're basically finishing furniture on the floor. That's what we're doing. Okay. And you would never take one uh, microfiber towel, wipe down all your cabinets, Yep, and then and then dust mop all your uh, uh, baseboards, and then go clean your television screen and your uh, coffee table without consistently rinsing, cleaning, and replacing that thing. Sure. So it, it, it's kind of like it's kind of like rolling uh, finish on the floor or. Uh, even more commonly, rolling wall paint on the wall. Everybody wants to be up here rolling. Nobody wants to go back down here and refill the roller. That's lost time. You want to get as much paint on the wall and roll as long as you can. Same with floor finish. What's well, the it, It's the same concept with with the cleaners. You want to uh, you know you, you want to dump the cleaner in there. You want to 
uh, run that machine as long as you can. But what you all, really all you do, and depending on how how much contaminant or dirt or dust is on the floor, uh, it's all about stopping and rinsing and replacing, um, and that you know that costs money, right. and it's time. So it's it's more about habit and understanding what you're doing because after about a four by eight sheet of plot, about a four by eight area, something needs to happen because, or else you're just taking that and putting it over there. Are you guys seeing when you're looking at like the Clemson floor or the gymnasium that's in Mike's background here? Are these places in their their janitorial maintenance departments? Are they mop and bucket, or do they have some form of mechanical cleaner for big gymnasiums? Like what? Oh, are the pros typically, they've got riders. They've riders. Got big riding machines. Like a Zamboni. That, yeah, they look kind of like that. Flora Zamboni. Yeah. No, they. I mean, the big thing is like, to Steve's point, is you you've got to make sure that you're using like if you're going to take care of a wood floor in the case of a school. You know, the cleaning equipment you use on that sports floor should only be used on that sports floor. You know, um, one of the common problems I see is, you know, the, you know, because a lot of schools are, are, are contracting out their maintenance now. Right? right. So you got these guys get paid by the hour and they get a bonus if they get so many schools done in a night. Right. So they just take the auto scrubber right off of the BCT or whatever terrazzo or whatever's out in the hallway and the same cleaner and the same everything. And they prop the gym door open and they go right in there on top. I've seen it too. And I'm not even in the gym floor business. I've seen that too. And 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 it it happens over and over and over again. You know, as a general rule, I don't like to see an auto scrubber on a sports floor because even the best ones cannot, you know, when they install a sports floor, they're installing, you know, gaps purposely all the way across that floor for expansion purposes. Well, the best auto scrubbers out there cannot pull water up out of a crack once it's gone down three quarters of an inch. Right. You can't get it out. Um, so in enough time, you, you'll start seeing things like um, uh, black. All the expansion rooms will have black edges on oxidation the Oxidation. Uh, some, some sort of oxidation, maybe from the, fat, the galvanized fasteners eventually start to corrode. Sure. You know, that takes a lot of time. It's not going to happen the first, you know, if you do it once, but... Again, you know, an auto scrubber on a wood floor that's got plenty of finish on it is really not a bad thing. But if you just had your floor done this year and it's only got four coats of finish on it, you know, two seal coats, some paint, and and then, you know, two two top coats, auto scrubbing that floor is not a great idea, Um, mainly because the paint doesn't have enough protection. Um, because what'll happen is you'll start that, you'll start putting that moisture in the wood and it'll move around a little bit. And then pretty soon you've got that fibrous pad, even a white pad is fibrous and it'll run up over the edge of that paint. And at the edge of that board, you know, if there's a board seam in that border, if it's just slightly higher, just slightly lower, it's going to catch it, you know, and you know, it may not happen the first time you run the cleaner, the scrubber over it, but by the second or third time, you're going to start chipping the paint. And then all of a sudden it's like, hey, why isn't the paint sticking? It's peeling. No, it's not. It's chipping. Because if you notice, and we have to do this all the time, you walk in, it runs all the way up this board seam. Right. The next 22 rows are fine, you know, and then all of a sudden it happens again. Well, that's, yeah, that's because you're auto scrubbing the floor. Oh, no, we're not. And then, you know, 
it, it becomes a he said, she said thing. Sure. So typically what I do before that ever happens, when I if I would show up to do an inspection, I'll go, I'll find the maintenance man first and foremost. Hey, hey, I, I just, you know, I know we, I'm here to check things out. I just want to make sure, let me, let me see the pad on your auto scrubber real quick because I just want to make sure, you know, everything's copacetic and he'll, oh, they're proud, you know, because that's their cool new machine, right? Oh, yeah. And. They, they, they flip it up and you pull that pad off of there and it'll have a little gold. If it's oil based, it'll have these little gold flecks floating through it from the polyurethane or it might even have paint in it. I just take that, snap a picture of it, go have my meeting. And then when the, you know, they say, Oh, well, we're not using an auto scrubber or, you know, we only do it once a month. And I'm like, I show them a picture. I just took this picture from your maintenance closet over right. here. That's the pad that's on your auto scrubber. That's, polyurethane and that's paint yeah um, whose golf carts in your maintenance shed with the pads on the bottom of right, it? right. But, you know and that's not the auto scrubbers fault right you no. know uh, so i mean there are some really good brands out there <laughs> i would say as long as you're using a machine that's been built in the last five or eight ten years they're so much more efficient now where they they use a third of the chemicals that they used to put down on a floor Gotcha. You know, you know but don't buy a used one that's been rebuilt and, you know, because that still has the same type of pump systems in it and vacuum systems and it's not very efficient. So let me ask you a little while we're wrapping things up, I'll let you guys escape my clutches. Let's talk a little bit about business and finance. How, how do these uh, companies get? Is there a bidding season? How do you get into bidding for commercial gymnasiums? Is it different for like uh, an NCAA court and then the, the, like when I do a YMCA, it's totally different and a high school court? What, how, what, how does the bidding process uh, Sometimes yes, sometimes no. I mean, in, in a lot of cities, if a, if a job costs over a certain dollar amount, and that may change from municipality to the other, um, they require bidding to be done. Okay. To, you know, whether and some of them go by contract where you might be bidding for a five-year contract or you might be bidding, you know, for a two-year contract, or it may go season by season. Um, you know, you've got to know. Um, there are different reporting agencies out there where you can actually go online and join this organization. Uh, Dodge Report is one of them. Yeah. And they there's a whole list of commercial work going on. So you can get under the Dodge Report, and you can find what gym floors in your area are out for bid. Or, you know, there's – and there are other ones. Um, but most of the guys that want to bid work, you know, if there's a, a – uh, general contracting company that handles all the maintenance, you know, they're going to put the work out for bid, you know, you know, the, the school district A over here has five gym floors that need to be screened and recoded, you know, you know, all bids are due by the state. So you got to go around, you know, you get the measurements on the floors, you assess what each one needs, and then you post your bids. Um, it's or, uber competitive. Yeah. I've, I, I've seen where, you know, a whole collection of school districts because these all these superintendents know each other. So, like all the uh, all you, you you'll see four or five school districts in a certain part of the state that will bid just annual contracts, and really they're not they're not measuring every floor. They're saying, okay, how many gyms you got? And yep. then, okay, we'll do a one floor uh, or one coat pad and recoat at four fifty voc for a little heavier coat okay. for X amount. We'll do a two coat pad and recoat every summer for X amount with 550 VLC, you pick and they just send their crews around and they just go school to school, floor to floor. And, um, 
as long as things work out, I've, I've, I've seen contractors that have turned these, uh, these contracts into basically lifelong bids. I know you, you've seen that too, Mike. Absolutely. Absolutely. If you're, you know, a, a, a respectable contractor who does good work and, and takes care of everything, you know, I know, I know guys in this business that have been taking care of the same, you know, same schools for 25 years, yeah. you know, um, just because, you know, they, they, the, the, the school district is very, very comfortable with him. However, and you know, as, as things age and modernize, you know, these administrators move around quite a bit and they have their, their guy, you know, Oh, this is my guy. He does all my gyms. So all of a sudden he moves from over here at East, East central district to the Southwest district. And, you know, so he's calling his contractor up going, Hey, you want to bid this? And this other guy's like, I've been taking care of this floor for 25 years. What do you mean? I got to bid it. You know, so he doesn't even know that this, he's, you know, he's bringing this guy in and, and they generally lose the bid because, you know, they've been charging X for all these years. And this guy's coming in and bidding Y because hell, this guy's got seven, seven more floors I can do now, you know? Sure. Well, time Ooh, is money, right? It might be. And I mean, it's, it's uber competitive. I mean, there are, I, I could, I, I won't do it, but there are numbers that <laughs> dollar figures that are they, these floors are done for that don't include dollars, obviously, when it's, you're talking about screen and recodes, and some of them don't include quarters. So well, you would think too that like when I did my first sports floors, you would think, well, we're going to have all the time in the world. It's nice, big. No, 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 no. Almost all sports floors are used for something, whether it's town voting, meeting, plannings, um, sport events, when they're not being used for that. I know we used to sell gym covers, cover your whole gym so when your town comes in to vote, they don't ruin the gym floor. Uh, The window is so short now. Yeah. I mean, what used to be a three-month season to do do all the gym floor maintenance, Mm -hmm. um, you know, four-month window, three-, four-month window is is literally now – Oh, they you when, know, when so I did the YMCA, we'll they schedule gym floor. You can do it on June seventeenth, sure. Because I need I need the floor back on this day for cheer camp, or I need the floor back on this day for whatever. You know, I, I mean these these floors are used almost year round now. Sure. Um, and that's that's one of the nice things about the water based coatings now, and they're quicker dry and they're quicker cure. Is it's allowed for the savvy contractors. You know, they, they do screen and recoats all year. How do they set themselves all, up all for I success? Three days. Let me in here for three days and then just, you know, because schools now have multiple gymnasiums, most of them. Right. You know, so it's just get me in here now. I'll do the main gym now. Just use your auxiliary gym that next week. And then you'll be ready for your game a week from Friday. And they'll, and they'll do a water-based coating. They'll come in on a weekend. It might be a holiday break, you know, fall break or whatever. Um, you know, just... It is because there's only X amount of time to do it now in the summer. It's a, a shorter, ever, ever shrinking season. Oh, and a lot of people in the summer, the locals are using it. Like when I do a YMCA, they said, listen, we, we want it done quickly because there are leagues. We, we had a, a floor that Bockle had to fix it, had to repair it, get it going. And they said, you know, every hour of the day, this is either loaned out or rented out to somebody that right now is, has to go somewhere else. Uh, you know, they're they're playing pickleball in our racquetball court. There's a lot that goes on. Like we, we were talking, you, you had mentioned one of your uh, pieces that I, that I read, Time is Money. Is there a proper way for companies that are doing gymnasiums to 
uh, in sport floors to set themselves up for success going in like we got time there's a way to do this right what are the bases that need to be covered so they can get in get out everybody's happy they get paid there's no problems well yeah the, the, i mean there's it's it's all about you know planning your work and working your plan is the best way i would tell you to to do it so what you know when you go have that initial conversation with the facility what's my window Okay, based off of what you're telling me, this is my recommendation. You know, uh, you need you need to floor back this fast. Okay, I, I can put this product down. And this is the cure time. This is the best way for you to do this because if we if we, you can save money and go this way, but the floor is going to need this much more time to cure. You won't be able to use it, and, and that way you're putting everything back to them. Okay, well, what's this cost? Then you base your estimate and your work, what you're doing based on what coating you're using. So if you're going to use this fast cure water-based coating, you know, one, they're uber clear. So you're not going to go in there with a hundred grit screen and, and, and work that floor down, you know, like you used to back in the day, you're going to, you're going to use maybe a multi-disc thing with, you know, a, a fine grit paper or a mesh. Um, you, you might just use a, just a higher grit of screen, you know, if it's a good quality screen. Um, and, and, you know, cause that way you're planning the whole job from beginning to end because you know if you if you're going to use that clear water base and the rough screens you're going to have a complaint because you're going to see all the screen marks um because you know you're not going to cover them so it's just you gotta you gotta everything starts back at the initial meeting is is determining the expectations of the customer and then this is what i have to do to fulfill it well listen guys you're a wealth of knowledge this is we could I told you we would talk forever. I'm going to give you guys some quick fire questions. I'm going to start with Steve and then we're going to roll on out of here. And I really appreciate your time. And this is how it works. Steve, if you weren't in the industry, what would you be doing? I'd be coaching high school football. Mike, who's your favorite person in the wood floor industry? Larry Martin. Steve, is there somebody in the industry that you would like to meet or hang out with? Yeah. Uh, Sprig Lynn. His name comes up a lot. I gotta meet this guy. Mike, favorite wood species? <laughs> Northern hard maple. <laughs> Steve, <laughs> this is a good one for Steve. What's your biggest pet peeve in in your field of in flooring? What's your biggest pet peeve? You know, insincerity. I, I, I'm a man of my word. <laughs> I you know, I, I I come from the handshake days, right? All right, pet peeve. So, Mike, <laughs> contractor question: You got a favorite tool you kept from the old days? You still use it? What's your favorite flooring tool? I still have a, it's an inch and a half floor scraper with the floor style products logo in it. That's a nice one. <laughs> Steve Crawford from Canlac. Do you have carpeting in your home and how much do you have? I have a eight foot by 12 foot commercial carpeting in my home. Interesting story. I bought this old farmhouse, ripped all the carpet out when I bought it. And guess what? Particle board subfloors. Oh. So, you know, everything I've done has cost me double. I need people to buy more finish. Uh, but, yeah, no, I, I, my whole house is uh, site-finished uh, red oak. And Mike Hoy from Canlac Coatings, the last question. What's more important, your sports floors or Steve's distributors? And did you order the code red? <laughs> you can't handle the floors, Mike. Um, and, and Mike... And, and I tell you what, my customers are always important to me, but 
I take just based off of how long I've been doing this, I take tech calls for all sides of our business every day of the week. So I, the important thing to me is just trying to make this a better industry for all of us because it's huge. Um, well, I, I don't care what your brand is. There, there's more than enough pieces in this pie for all of us. And, and the more, to Steve's credit, the more forthright we are in how we do this, the better it is for all of us. Well, guys, uh, Wood Floor Business Magazine and uh, all things Wood Floor, appreciate the time. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. I love talking floor talk with people, and you guys are outstanding. You thoroughly know your stuff. And it's a thing we don't often get to talk about is sports floors, gymnasiums, coatings, chemicals. We've cleared off a lot of things here. If maybe they get the three of us together, we could solve some world peace issues. Maybe this COVID thing, we'd be a better place. Stephen, great job. All right, guys, we'll talk to you some of the time soon. I really appreciate you coming. Thank you very much. All right, All right. Take you. care, boys. Take care. This episode of All Things Wood Floor was brought to you by Canlac Coatings. Canlac brings together trusted brands, best-in-class service, and innovative wood coatings for professionals through the trusted ABSCO, CLK, Poloplaz, and Sampson brands. Find out more at canlaccoatings.com. If you liked this episode, be sure to like, rate, and subscribe to All Things Wood Floor so you don't miss a single episode.